0: Approached by a distraught father, the man's daughter was deathly ill, and and uh, he begged Jesus come and heal her. Because of the man's desperation, he had no trouble really convincing Jesus to come, and so they started making way to his house. But before they could arrive, some of his servants came from the house and they said, "It's too late. I'm sorry, but your little girl has already died." Well, when they got this sad news, Jesus turned to the man. And he said these words, he says, Don't be afraid, just believe. I wonder how many times we hit a moment in our lives like that with just terror, shock, or grief and loss. And God wants to say that to us. Don't be afraid, just believe. Just hold on, just hold on. So they go back to the house. They find that the little girl is... Passed away. She's been put in a room of the house, and neighbors and friends have come in, and they're all weeping loudly, just wailing, as the Jewish uh, tradition was a time of funeral. And Jesus spoke up to them, and he said this something that kind of seemed kind of out of place. You know, like what are you talking about? He said, "Why all the commotion? Why is there so much grieving going on around? her? Why all the wailing and crying?" Seems almost cold for him to say that. The answer is obvious. You know, here is child has been taken away. Children are not supposed to die before their parents, and children aren't supposed to die at all, but this little girl has gone. He said to the people, the girl is not dead. She's asleep. Some of them snicker. They laughed like, well, we know the difference. We know the difference between somebody who's comatose and somebody who's actually died. She's died. Jesus sends everyone else out of the house. He and the parents go into the inner room, and he walks up to the little girl who's been laid out there on a the bed, And he reaches out and grabs her hand. And he says, little girl, I say to you, get up. And her eyes opened. She came back to life. She stood up and was given back to her parents. Ever since that time, Christians have called death sleep. They've called it sleep because this is only a momentary thing. This is only something that's... Just for a a little while. Maybe just a flash. Maybe just a moment. That's why we call the places where we bury people cemeteries. Because the Greek word the cemetery comes from means a place to lie down and sleep. We have every confidence that when somebody dies in Christ, that they will not stay dead. That they will go on to eternal life. They will awaken from their sleep to be in heaven with Jesus forever. They will see the face of Christ and be with him forever. Even though our physical bodies die, our souls are eternal and we will someday rise again to a new life, never to die again. Well, by bringing this little girl back to life, Jesus showed his power over the grave, didn't he? He showed that he had the power to give life and to take life and to give it again. And this weekend, we celebrate Jesus' own resurrection, that even though sinful man was able to kill him, and it was part of God's plan that he would die, death could not hold him. Death could not keep its icy grasp on Jesus. Even when he himself died, death could not keep him in the grave. And so this morning, I want us to think about the tomb of Jesus, especially its emptiness, that he's not there. Because the tomb of Jesus is the key to the resurrection. The tomb of Jesus is the key to our very faith itself. That resurrection really can change our lives. I want you to follow along this morning as I read from Matthew 27, starting with verse 57. As evening approached, there came a man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus, going to Pilate, He asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in the clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. First of all, I want you to notice that this tomb is a borrowed tomb. It's not Jesus' tomb. Jesus had no real estate. He didn't even have a house. He had never thought about you know having to buy a tomb. So he's going into somebody else's tomb, Joseph's tomb. Joseph had just had it dug out of the rock for himself. He was preparing for his own death. He's like people today, you know, make these pre-arrangements. And it was a very expensive arrangement in this case. But that was so close to where Jesus had been crucified that it was the obvious choice for Joseph. As he gets the body, I just put him up in my own tomb. And so he and Nicodemus carry him there. Joseph experienced the death of Jesus like few disciples because he touch the body of Jesus. He found out that that body was lifeless. He was assured of that, and so he and Nicodemus prepared it. They wrapped it in the linen cloth, and they put about a hundred pounds of spices and oils, both as a way to respect Jesus, but also as a way to uh, slow down decay. And they had to hurriedly do this because the Passover was coming at sundown. So they very quickly put him in the tomb. They prepared the body. They put him up on this very shelf, where I assume Joseph was planning his own body to be laid someday, and Jesus was put in this borrowed tomb. This was a borrowed tomb. It was not Jesus' tomb. Jesus took Joseph's place, and he took our place too, didn't he? This was a temporary tomb. Now, I don't know what Joseph planned. Was he planning on keeping the body there until Passover was over, and then they would move the body to some other burial spot? Maybe that was the plan. Maybe he thought he'd leave Jesus there, and someday when he died, his body would be put in the same tomb as Jesus. That would be a really neat thing, he would think. But whether Joseph thought it was permanent or not, I know Jesus didn't know it, think it was permanent. He knew it was temporary. He knew that he was only going to be there a couple of days. He had told his disciples repeatedly, on the third day, the Son of Man is going to rise again. He never intended it to be a permanent place. Even his most powerful enemies couldn't keep him in that tomb, try as they might. Jewish leaders went to Pilate, warned him that Jesus had said, you've got to be careful because he said maybe on the third day I'll come back. And and they don't want that deception to be worse than the first. So they sealed up the tomb. They posted a guard. And Roman soldiers kept watch day and night so no one would tamper with that grave. But Jesus' tomb was temporary. Have you ever thought that our tombs are temporary, too? You know, if you died as a Christian, how long would you be in the grave? Some say you'd never go to the grave at all. Because as soon as you die, your soul will leave your body, and the body will be buried, but you won't be buried. How temporary is that? Jesus' body was there for two days, and then he rose from the grave. Anyone who is in Jesus Christ does not go into a grave to stay. They merely walk through what the psalmist called Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. It is a momentary experience, and then they go to eternal life in Christ. And it is not a grief time. It is a time of celebration for those who are in Christ. Sir Winston Churchill knew that. He planned out his own funeral service very meticulously, they say, and at the end of the funeral service that he had planned, there was a, a trumpeter that went up into the balcony, and he started playing very slowly taps as the final thing of that ceremony, everybody thought. But as the last note of taps kind of wafted across the cathedral, another player in the higher balcony started playing reveille, because... They wanted to symbolize that Churchill was going home. He was going on to glory, on to eternity. It was not the end of his life. It was the beginning of his new life, eternal life, in Jesus Christ. Jesus' tomb was a borrowed tomb. Jesus' tomb was a temporary tomb. Jesus' tomb was a triumphant tomb. Now, it may sound funny to put the words tomb and triumphant together, the same sentence, because we usually associate death with grief and loss and sadness, But Jesus' tomb is empty, and so it becomes this triumphant tomb, a place where Jesus achieved what he had promised, what he had prophesied. And what he proved was that he has power over the grave, power over death. The empty tomb is convincing proof of Jesus' triumph over the grave. Down through the centuries, other religious leaders have hit the scene of human history, haven't they? They've spoken about their religious insights. They've developed their own religious systems. They've just started, in some cases, their own religion. And people follow them. They've gained a following. People like Confucius and, and Buddha and Muhammad and, and uh, Joseph Smith and Mary Baker Eddy and, and Charles Tez Russell. Just all kinds of people that have gained a following by people who thought they knew what they were talking about. But where are all those people today? Where's Confucius and Buddha and Charles Taz Russell and Mary Baker, they're in their graves, aren't they? They are dead. But Jesus' grave is empty. Jesus' tomb is empty because he is alive. He has no need for such a thing as a tomb. He never will. So what good does this resurrection mean for us today? That's really the big question. And maybe you're here today, you don't go to church very often, but you're just kind of wondering, what's the big deal? Yeah, you know, Easter's a big deal, but why? What could this resurrection possibly mean for my life? Well, the first thing it can mean is that we can be saved. Jesus has shown the power over life and death. And when he wants to give life to someone, he can. When he wants to provide forgiveness for someone, he can. Jesus loved us enough to come to earth and to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could go free, so that our sins could be taken off of our backs. And his power over death and the grave proves that he is the giver of life and he is the only one who can give us new life. Jesus' death changed everything. Jesus' death and resurrection took away the sting of death, Paul calls it, because there is victory in Jesus Christ instead, First Corinthians 15. As death has no hold on him, it can have no hold on us either, even though we may physically die Our souls will never die. The Bible says that if we are baptized into Christ, we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's Romans 6 verse 4. Romans 6 5 goes on and it says, If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. So Jesus' death and resurrection means that we can be saved from sin and death and hell and live for eternity with him in heaven. I want you to think about that personally this morning because maybe you have never thought the connection between Jesus' resurrection and your life. His power over the grave, his death on the cross is what gives you and I the opportunity through God's grace to be forgiven. Maybe you don't think you can be saved from your sins. Maybe you don't think you're worthy of that. You certainly are not. I'm certainly not worthy of that. But God, by his grace, decided to give us what we don't deserve, what we are not worthy of. And Jesus paid the penalty, and Jesus rose from the grave so that we could know one day we could be forgiven, and we could rise from our grave as well. He is the only one who has ever shown power over the over the grave. And his power over death extends to us. And we can be free from that penalty. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection means that we can always have hope. Now, we have hope for eternity, certainly. We have confidence that someday we're going to be with God forever. But we even have hope today. And there is no situation in our lives that can be so dark, so trying, so stressful, so overwhelming, that we do not have hope. And once we have the hope of Jesus Christ, it helps us to face every circumstance of our lives. For those of us who rest in this assurance, things can never get too dark, too tough, too hard for us to handle. There is always hope because Jesus is in control. And Jesus is able to achieve his purposes even through our deepest trials in this life. He will take those trials. He'll get us through them and even strengthen us and we'll come out better for it on the other side. And Romans promises us that uh, there is this positive good that God will cause in our lives because we are loved and called according to his purpose. In Romans 8.35, the Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This is the hope that we have in Christ. And it changes everything. There was a preacher who lost his wife when they were very young. She died to cancer, and he was left with two little girls to raise. On the morning of that wife's funeral, he and his daughters were walking down the street to the church building for the funeral. And his youngest daughter turned to him, and she said, Daddy, does it hurt to die? He was kind of regretting, wondering if he was going to get that question, kind of think of an answer. He didn't have an answer. And he's standing there, at this traffic light waiting, what am I going to say? Does it hurt to die? How do you answer, a little girl? Suddenly a big truck came up beside them and stopped at the light also, and the shadow of that truck came over them. Well, the light turned green, the truck took off, and the shadow left. And he said, there's my answer. And he turned to his daughter and he says, honey, did it hurt when that truck came beside us and the shadow of the truck came over? He said, no, daddy, that didn't hurt. And he says, well, death is like that. The shadow passes over us, and we move on with God. Jesus took our place in the tomb, and for that reason, we will all face death differently than we would have before. He overcame our worst fears, and now we can face the uncertainties, the fears of this life, with faith and hope and confidence in him. Finally, the resurrection means something else very important. I want you to really get this. This is the last thing. Resurrection means... That we must obey him. We must obey Jesus. Because by raising himself from the grave, by overcoming death, Jesus proved that he is Lord. That he's king. That he's in charge. We're not. And so we must answer to him. We must obey him because he is, after all, Lord of creation. He is the Son of God to whom we must give account for our lives. We can't escape that. Now, we can choose any lifestyle we want to live we're given the freedom to do that we we can pursue we can live out every sinful desire known to man and some of us have tried them all <laughs> some of us are still living there because we have the freedom to do that god has given us the freedom to choose that but you want you need to know that those choices have an eternal consequence those choices have eternal ramifications Because one day we will give account to Jesus Christ. When the end, we're going to answer to him. And we will answer to him because he has proven by his resurrection that he is Lord. He is King. So Jesus to us is not only Savior, as wonderful as that is, that we could be forgiven, that we could have eternal life with him forever, but he is also Lord. He is both Lord and Savior, or he is nothing at all. He can't be just Savior in your life. He has to be both Lord and Savior if you give your life to Him. Matthew 25, Jesus said that one day the Son of Man is going to gather all of the nations before Him. He will come in His glory and He will gather the nations. All the people who have ever lived on planet Earth will be gathered before Him. And He said, I will at that point separate the people as a shepherd might separate the sheep from the goats. And I'm going to put some on the right, some on the left. And the ones who are on the right are going to inherit eternal life And those who are on the left are going to go to hell instead. By his victory over the grave, Jesus has shown that this judgment is his right, that this is his rightful place. You and I are free to choose any path we want to choose here in this life, but the choices we make have eternal consequences. I know it's Easter. I know you have a lot going on in your life. I know that maybe you have family in. Maybe you. You've planned the whole day out, but this is a very important thing this morning, that you think about your life before God because you must give an account to God as I must give an account to God for how I live and what I choose to do in this life. And the biggest, most important choice you will ever make is to answer the question, who is Jesus? Is he Lord and Savior to you? Is he Lord and Savior of your life? Is he making the difference today as well as for eternity in your life? Jesus' resurrection is important because we can be saved and because we can have hope and because we must give an account to him one day. The pyramids of Egypt are famous because they contain the mummified remains of the powerful pharaohs centuries and centuries ago. Westminster Abbey is renowned because it uh, holds the bodies of English noblemen and kings down through the centuries. Muhammad's tomb is renowned because of its stone coffin and the bones of the prophet that it contains. Arlington Cemetery, not many miles from here, is important because it holds the remain of many great Americans who have died. Not the least of which was John F. Kennedy where they put his body in and they put that eternal flame up so that there would always be the reminder people could see that and remember his life and his impact. But one tomb has this distinction. While all the others are noted for what they remain, the remains that are held there, this one is noted that it has no remains. There is no one in this tomb. It is the tomb of Jesus the tomb of Jesus is empty. Just off Stonewall Drive down here, some of you ride that road pretty often, there's a little street called Nelson. And Nelson Street is named after General William Nelson. He was a a union general during the Civil War. A lot of the streets around there are named after different Civil War generals. And Nelson was a man who had fought many battles in the Civil War. He was part of the Western Campaign in Kentucky area and had faced uh, the enemy many times. But he was killed in the Civil War, but not by the enemy. One night, as his, he and his men were relaxing in camp, he was inside the general's quarters, one of the houses there in this farm they were at, and men were outside, all around rounded tents, and a couple of the men got into a brawl. Shots were fired, and one of the bullets somehow went into the house and struck General Nelson in the chest, mortally wounding him. As such, he was caught fully unprepared. I mean, he'd gone into battle before and he was expecting, you know, that possibility, but not while he was relaxing with his men. And suddenly he knew his life was passing before his eyes. And as his men rushed up the stairs to try and help him, he had one thought on his mind. One word came out of his mouth, and he said, Send for a clergyman. I need to be baptized. (laughs) And so they found somebody come in, get him baptized. And he realized in those minutes that all those years, he neglected that. Never felt as an adolescent or as a young man that he had time for such things, to get his heart right with God. As he was a private in the army, and then he moved up through the ranks, eventually became a general, and then the Civil War started. He kept thinking, I didn't take time for this. I never found time to make this right with God, to get things right with God. Certainly during the, revolution, or the, the Civil War, there was no time. There was just too much busyness. But now everything changed. The war didn't change. People around him didn't change. But what changed was General Nelson's priorities. Because he knew time was short. And he knew that his death was imminent. And so he did what he needed to do to get his heart right with God before he died. With only minutes to go before he entered eternity, he was baptized into Christ. Thirty minutes later, he was dead. How much time do any of us have? You don't know. I don't know. Today could be our last day. We may go on for several years, many years. We don't know. The question is, are we right with God? Have we settled things with God? Are we making the decision we need to make today to have our heart right with God? We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. For you to put your faith in Christ, put your hope in Christ, and to surrender to Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song. It's just called White Flag. We're going to raise a white flag. It's a white flag of surrender, saying, God, I surrender my heart my life to you. I put my faith and my hope in Jesus Christ. And we're going to invite you, if you want, to come forward. Maybe you're ready for decision then. Maybe you need to talk about it. We'll, we'll talk with you today, whatever needs to happen. But don't leave here until you have made this decision, until you have, have uh, gotten your heart right with God. Because no one knows how much longer we have. Are you right with God? That's the question of the day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would guide us in this decision time. If there's anyone here today, Lord, speak to their hearts. Help them to know that you are drawing very near to them, that you are giving them the answer to their lives. You are giving them the solution they so desperately need. Help them know, Lord, that they're not worthy for this but that the worthiness is all about Jesus, that the perfect Son of God has already given his life for us, and we get to go free because of your grace. Uh, Help us to open our hearts to you now, all of us, that we would realize that we must have our hearts right with you, to be prepared for eternity, and also to live with the hope and confidence that we can live in this life. Uh, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We pray that he would uh, come very close to us now, into each heart. Every person would think about their relationship to you. And anyone who needs to make a decision for Christ will do that during this time of decision. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.